0: Guys, this morning, thanks for bringing the church into this building, adults and kids both. Want to want to reiterate, especially on these family style Sundays, which I think come what four times a year. That as a church, philosophically, our value system, we love kids. They're not a nuisance. Their noises are not a nuisance. Um, You you probably will feel a little self conscious before any of us would about the noises your kids are making in this space. So um, please know that we're excited and happy to be able to do this uh, once a quarter to come together uh, as as families uh, and as the one family collectively, the church. For those who may be new to our church, my name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders who preaches most Sundays, excited to open up the scriptures together with you this morning. Uh, As we continue a sermon series that we began uh, the week after Easter, one that's going to carry us right up to the summer, a study, as James mentioned just a few minutes ago, of some of the most incredible benedictions and doxologies in all of Scripture. A quote I've shared from week one to try to frame this thing well. A.W. Pink writes in his commentary on this topic of doxologies and benedictions, he says, A doxology is an ascription of praise. A benediction, a word of blessing. The one, a doxology, an inscription of praise, ascends from the heart of the saint to God. The other, a benediction, a word of blessing, descends from God to the saint. With the doxology, we lift our hands, palms down as we ascribe praise to, to the Lord, the one who is worthy of all praise. With a benediction, we lift our hands, palms up. As we acknowledge in humble reliance that God must bestow blessing if you and I are to receive it. I gave an example last week. For those of you who may have been out, perhaps this is helpful. Distinguishing a a doxology from a benediction. Doxology would be like what we find in Jude chapter or verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, An authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. To God be the glory. That's a doxology, an ascription of praise. An example of a benediction, which we looked at in week one of this series, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Christian life, it's nothing less than the beautiful both and of hands lifted in heart-filled praise and humble reliance. So that the hope of this sermon series, as i mentioned for the last couple weeks, is that we might stand in greater awe of God and might increasingly declare the praises of him who is worthy of all praise. And two, that we might more deeply understand, and not just understand, but enjoy the blessings that this praiseworthy God bestows upon his people. Palms up and palms down. And so with that said, I invite you to open up your Bible to Numbers chapter 6 verses 22 through 27. We sang part of this morning's passage just a few moments ago. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles and use it during our time together this morning. If you don't own a Bible, you can have a copy uh, from under one of the seats as our gift to you be excited to know that you're exploring the scriptures on your own time. As you're opening up to this morning's passage, i will just frame it up this way. Uh, similar to the Lord's Prayer, you could turn the passage we're going to look at for these next few moments together into its own sermon series. We're going to leave a lot of meat on the bone this morning. Hopefully you'll walk away recognizing that, but also full As a result of our time sitting with this incredible pronouncement of blessing. Let me pray for us before we look at it together. Heavenly Father, praise you this morning. For the sounds of children in this auditorium. Even those sounds reminding us that we who are in Christ are your children. And that you are our Father. Thank you for sending Jesus into our fallen, broken world, to rescue us into your forever family. Christ, who lived the life that we could never live in our place, who died the death that we deserve to die, bearing sin's curse, that we might receive your blessing. Praise you, Holy Spirit, for applying this work of redemption to our hearts. Spirit of God, would you stir our hearts this morning Would you move in power as we sit with your inspired word in front of us that we might walk away fortified, encouraged, comforted, convicted. Lord, whatever you have for us, we all bring different things into this place this morning. I trust that your word can and will meet all of us where we are. Would you do this great work? And as you do, would you give me a feeling sense of the very things I preach? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The so be it of a babe. The book of Numbers tells the story of, of Israel in their wilderness wandering days following the Exodus, having been redeemed from enslavement to Egypt, brought uh, into a covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai. The book itself, if you go back to the first chapter of Numbers, beginning with census, a census, a numbering of God's people, before setting out for the promised land. Followed by laws regarding how their camp was to to be arranged at the various stopping points along the journey. The tabernacle at the center of the camp, communicating something of the centrality of God's presence. The tabernacle surrounded by the priests and Levites. The priests and Levites themselves surrounded by the neatly arranged 12 tribes of, of Israel. A people called to live in purity in the presence of God's holiness, laid out in part by the many purity laws that you find in this book of the Bible. Preparing Israel for the land of promise. God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's in the midst of those purity laws that we're told, Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The poem situated in the middle of this morning's passage is not only the most well known word of blessing in the Old Testament, but arguably the most well known word of blessing in all of the Bible. Known as the Aaronic blessing, meaning related to Aaron and the priesthood, spoken by Moses, or by God to Moses, I should say, over 3,000 years ago, a word of blessing that's been passed on throughout the generations, not only in Jewish homes and synagogues, but in churches since the days of the apostles. We adults are passing it on to our children as we sing it and steep in it this morning. The words of this blessing. Recently discovered in 1979 in a partially collapsed tomb just outside of Jerusalem. The Kedep's Hinnom Silver Scrolls. This day the uh, oldest surviving biblical inscription that, that we know of as human beings. Older than the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dated sometime around the late 7th or early 6th century BC. Which would have been roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. The blessing itself, as you can see, relatively few in words and yet incredibly rich in content and creative in form. Structured in in such a way that the name Yahweh is accompanied by 12 Hebrew words, uh, which many scholars believe to be in accordance with the 12 tribes of Israel. Each of the three lines that make up the blessing itself, uh, verses 24 through 26, an increase in words and letters with perfect numerical precision. So that it grows from three Hebrew words in verse 24 to five in verse 25 to seven in verse 26. Each line increasing by exactly two words. And from 12 Hebrew syllables to 14 to 16. Each line again increasing by exactly two. And from 15 Hebrew consonants to 20 to 25. Each line increasing by exactly five. So the the blessing itself is, is crafted in perfect structure like a cascading waterfall that flows down upon God's people. Spoken before it was ever written by the one from whom all blessings flow. And so that makes a lot of sense that that imagery would be there even in the original Hebrew. If you pick up in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Before we get to the substance of the blessing itself, consider where God's people find themselves at this point in the story. The journey before them through the wilderness that awaits in many ways treacherous. Leaving them perhaps, as would be the case with many of us, with uncertainty, with fear, with doubt. And what does God do? He meets them in their uncertainty with a word of blessing. Blessing. The assurance of his going before them in sovereignty, in wisdom, in love. And not a one-time assurance, by the way, as this word of blessing was given by God that Aaron, the high priest, and his sons might daily speak it, pronounce it over the people. Which is one reason, among many, why the story that the book of Numbers goes on to tell is all the more tragic. As the first wilderness wandering generation, as many of you know, failed to to trust God and died outside the land of promise. If only they could have trusted. If only they could have believed. Rather than doubting God's wisdom, his purpose, his love. J. Ligon Duncan in his commentary writes, God is the giver. He is the source of blessing. Nothing that he doesn't give do we need. What he gives is all we need. If they had understood that one thing, the whole story of Numbers would be different. It's a sobering word to to sit with and steep in, isn't it? As we too have a propensity to doubt God. His sovereignty. His wisdom. His goodness. His love. All of which, by the way, are, are evidenced in the words of the blessing itself. You shall say to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is kind of a nerdy academic thing to, to take note of, but the word Lord from the Hebrew word Yahweh is mentioned three times here, you'll notice. And in the original Hebrew writing, it has a different Hebrew accent each of those three times leading many scholars to believe that that this is an Old Testament veiled reference to the Trinity. The Father bless you and keep you. The Son make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Spirit lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Old Testament version of the passage we sat with in week one of this series, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And who knows, perhaps there's something to that. Or maybe it's simply a threefold repetition emphasizing that God must bestow blessing if you and I are to receive it. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the source of all blessing, who goes before his people in sovereignty, in wisdom, in love. The Lord bless you and keep you. Verse 24. The Israelites would have understood God's blessing to include things like rain and harvest. Victory in battle and safety in the land. The multiplying of offspring. Leviticus chapter 26 verses 3 through 10. God says, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the field and the sword shall not go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall chase 10,000. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword." I'll turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. And you shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. The Israelites would have understood these things to be part of the the cascading waterfall of God's blessing. And yet none of these things the greatest blessing of all, namely the blessing of God's presence, the blessing of God who more than anything gives us himself. Leviticus 26, the very next verse, it goes on to say, I, the Lord, will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. We, like Israel, we look to the Lord to to bless and care for us in practical ways, to give us our daily bread just as he provided manna from heaven for the wilderness-wandering Israelites between the time of their liberation from Egypt and their entrance into the promised land. And yet nothing less than the very presence of God in our lives will satisfy our soul's deepest longing and cause us to sing, I am blessed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Hebrew word for keep meaning to guard to form a hedge of protection around. A related word from the same Hebrew root word meaning thorn, referring to shepherds out in the wilderness who who would build corrals for the sheep out of the thorn bushes, which would protect the sheep from predators, and would in doing so keep them safe. I'm reminded of Psalm 121, verses 5 through 8, where the psalmist writes, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God stands at the right hand of his covenant people, our comforter and keeper. A God who sustains and preserves his people as they make their their pilgrim journey to the, the heavenly Mount Zion. There are real dangers in the the fallen world in which we live. A world with devils filled as we sing at times. However, there is no danger that has the final word for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The face of God shining upon his people, communicating something of God's delight in his beloved. Immediately, the picture that comes to mind for me when our girls uh, get the opportunity to visit with their cousins, whether it's up here when they come to see us or whether it's down in Valdosta where my wife is from, most of her family still is, that moment when there's a knock on the door, whichever door it is, and the door opens... And all of those faces light up like the 4th of July when they see each other. It's like a kid opening a Christmas present on Christmas morning. B- blessing is, is not just that, that we beam as we fix our gaze upon the Lord, but that the Lord beams as he fixes his gaze upon us. In the words of one scholar, He's a father enjoying his children as he looks over them in the playground of the world. Oh, that we would find joy in the delight of the Lord over us more than the delight of the world's approval a thousand times over. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. These words of blessing, like uh, the blessing we looked at in week one of this series, Two, speaking of the graciousness of God, the unmerited favor and forgiveness of God poured out upon undeserving sinners. Remember, at this point in Israel's history, we're not far removed from Aaron's fashioning of the golden calf, which the people of Israel bowed before and made sacrifices to. Aaron himself, now forgiven and commanded to pronounce this blessing to declare to God's people, the Lord your God is a gracious, forgiving, forbearing God. Oh, the many golden calves that you and I have fashioned over the course of our lives. Our hearts, as John Calvin says, perpetual idol factories that we could know the unmerited favor and forgiveness of God all because and only because of Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The lifting up of God's countenance upon his people, communicating something of God's attentiveness. A taking notice of, a declarative, I see you. I never feel more terrible than when my kids move into the world of pretend, want to play whatever the game is makeup and hair, salon, magic show, depending on the day. And they get it all set up, and then they'll come over to my wife. Or me or both of us and say, I'm sorry, but in this land of pretend, you can't have a cell phone. And we put it down. Feeling terrible. So many distractions. Our kids are going, take notice of us, mommy. Take notice of us, daddy. The Lord is attentive to his people In a way that none of us could ever be with our children. A loving father who takes notice of his child. A God who never sleeps nor slumbers. And therefore never closes his eyes on us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace coming from the Hebrew word shalom. Meaning so much more than the ending of conflict. Though that's part of its meaning. A sense of flourishing and wholeness of harmony and well-being. Peace, the culmination of, of God's blessing, like a cascading waterfall that flows down upon his people. Verse 27, so the Lord says, they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. To put one's name upon something was to stamp it with a mark of ownership. The Lord putting his name on his people A declarative, I am the source of your blessing. I will be your God, you shall be my people. To have my name is to have my blessing. Again, these words are reminding us that it's the Lord who blesses. The literal translation, and I myself will bless them. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, when God says, I will, all the devils in hell cannot turn aside the blessing and all the ages of eternity cannot change the king's word. He goes on to say, He will himself bring his precious things to our door. He will himself feast us at his table. Yea, he will himself become our food, our bread, and our water. God is the source of all blessing, and he pours out his blessing on the undeserving. Just prior to this morning's passage in the book of Numbers, if you read it in context, you find two very different and contrasting laws laid out. One having to do with an unfaithful wife, the other having to do with a devoted to the Lord Nazarite. Whom of the two was Israel more like? An unfaithful wife or a devoted to the Lord Nazarite? She looked to other nations at times for protection, worshiped the idols of those Same nations. Two, fashioning golden calves from the the plunder of Egypt, failing to recognize that the goal was not simply to get Israel out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of Israel. Not only to remove the Israelites from the land of foreign gods, but to remove the foreign gods from the hearts of the Israelites. Whom of the two are you and I more like? An unfaithful wife or a devoted to the Lord Nazarite? Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Prone to wander, Lord, I fear it. Prone to leave the God I love prone to seek the hope of blessing in golden calves, so to speak. To drink from broken cisterns when the fountain of everlasting joy is right in front of us. To paraphrase one scholar, we need only trace the smoke of our strong desires, which always leads us to the smoldering fire of the altar we have erected to our idols. brings me to the good news is the cascading waterfall of the the ironic blessing is one that we undeserving sinners that we are can stand under in Jesus Christ I typically don't offer up commentary of this length but I cannot say it better than Ian Dugan in his commentary lays it out he says God is able to bless faithless people like me because he sent his son to be completely devoted to him in my place. Jesus Christ came and lived a life of perfect devotion to God. He was the true embodiment of the Nazarite ideal of separation from evil and death, the one who kept God's law in every detail. His heart was constantly filled with loving obedience to God, and so he truly earned the Lord's blessing He paid for the sin of my faithless hands and wandering feet in the nails that transfixed his obedient hands and feet. He atoned for the sin of my idolatrous heart as his faithful heart was pierced by the Roman soldier's spear. As God the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, Jesus took upon himself my curse. He goes on to say, here's the imagery of this morning's passage. He says, the cross is the very antithesis of the priestly benediction. Did God the Father bless Jesus and keep him when he was on the cross? No, he handed him over into the power of those who hated him and wanted to kill him. Did God the Father make his face shine upon Jesus on the cross? No, he poured out his wrath and his crushing anger against him upon sin. Did God the Father turn his face toward Jesus on the cross and give him peace no, he turned his face away from him so that Jesus cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven for the first time in all eternity, there was no answering light from the Father's face. Even the Son turned away its countenance from Jesus, as if the universe itself could no longer bear to look upon him. At that moment for Jesus, there was no peace. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was broken for our sin. He was abandoned for our faithlessness. He was cursed for our blessing. He continues, "...but he himself is our peace. In Jesus, we now receive God's blessing. Now my sin and faithlessness has been fully paid for. Now Jesus has been raised up from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father." He has returned once again to the Father's favor and has been given the name above every name, never again to be separated from his blessing. What is more, where he is, there shall I also be. Now the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ will certainly bless me and keep me for his sake. Now I know that nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God. Now I know that the father looks upon me with pleasure and his face lights up every time he sees me because he sees me through Jesus. The father sees me in his son, he says, whom he loves. As a Christian, I have the name of Jesus, verse 27, written indelibly on my soul. And so the father delights to bless me in Christ with every spiritual blessing for his sake. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. Perhaps for some, the invitation this morning is to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness, for the peace, for the blessing that can only be found in him. For we who come in this morning professing to love and know Jesus, consider this. Jesus Christ is the greater Aaron, our high priest who in exercising his office continually blesses his people. Perhaps today is the day to turn from broken cisterns, to stop looking in other places for the blessing that only God can give, to cast aside the golden calves, a God who goes before us in sovereignty, in wisdom, in love, A God who guards us, a God who delights in us, a God who is gracious to us, a God who sees us, a God who gives us peace when the the waves of circumstance would otherwise drown us, a God who greater than any other blessing gives us himself, he our God, and we his beloved people. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E, ptc.com.